Well, good morning to you all. You're all kind of perky and alive, and that's good. I have a little bit of an admission. Well, maybe it's a confession that I have to make, and uh, it kind of has a, a good, interesting point to it and a little bit of a bad point to it. But uh, last night, on Saturday nights, I always go over my messages, and I see kind of how it actually flows, how it looks, all that kind of stuff. And uh, my wife texts me. She's on her way to Abbotsford to help her mom uh, go through some stuff after the passing of her dad. And uh, she texted me and said she was stopped in a motel for the night. She said, do you want to play Words with Friends? It's a Scrabble game. And I said, oh, sure. So while I was working on my message, I was playing a game of Words with Friends with my wife. And something weird happened. I, I normally get about three, four hundred points. I got like five or six hundred in two games I played her, and I thought, that's so weird. And then all of a sudden it dawned to me, and I know as we go through, we have this temperament analysis, personality analysis stuff called Grip Berkman. And in Grip Berkman, we teach people that you have your strengths and your talents, but when the Holy Spirit is mixed in, it multiplies them. And I was, honestly, when I uh, go over the message, I'm operating in the spirit probably more than I usually am throughout the whole week. And I have to confess that that got diverted into my words with friends. And I got an incredible score because my natural ability was increased with his power and his presence. Now, here's the dark side. (laughs) I got here this morning and my notes were all mixed up and turned around and the stuff that was at the beginning was at the end. And I thought, how did that happen? And I was like, oh yeah. I was playing words with friends with my wife and I was diverting the Spirit's power from what it should have been, but I beat her. It was worth it all. We'll see in 30 minutes if it was worth it all. I had to quickly try to fix all my notes. So this week, and uh, I just want to say with that experience, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I believe as a person I have my natural abilities to a point. And I am convinced with your Holy Spirit, they become much, much more. Even mixed up, messed up notes become power in the hands of a loving, caring God. And I invite you, God, to be in me and with me and carry me in Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. So now, another kind of funny story to get things going. Hopefully, I've got your attention. I have a sleep apnea machine. If you don't know what it is, it's for people who have a problem, we stop breathing at night. And the sleep apnea machine has a hose, and you stick it on your nose, your mouth, or whatever. And uh, mine, it just goes on my nose, and it pressurizes up my system a bit so that I never stop breathing. It keeps that flap of skin at the back of the throat. It sounds gross. I won't go into more detail than that. But anyway, um, a couple of nights ago, it was malfunctioning. I woke up at midnight, and uh, there was no humidity coming through, and my throat was dry. So I got up and I thought, oh, I wonder what's wrong. And I put some more water in it. That was fine. And as I was putting water in it, and then long story short, I decided to adjust my sleep apnea machine. And you should never do that at midnight. At 5 a.m., I woke up to hear the sound every time I breathed. Gurgle, gurgle, gurgle. Breathe in. Gurgle, gurgle, gurgle. 
I was like, what is with that? You 6 a.m., or actually it was 5 a.m., I, I was going, I don't know what that is. I was like, oh, some water must have got in my hose. Now, the hose kind of swoops down, and it would have had a little dip. And I thought, I know what I got to do. I just got to lift the hose up to get rid of the water. <laughs> it's hooked to my nose. I'm breathing through it. <laughs> Let's just say I went, I pulled the hose off, water all over my face. I was really tired that day. (laughs) After I cleaned my face off and everything, it was like giving yourself a nice face wash. My pillow, I wiped myself off with that. It was a great towel. But honestly, so often, we hear a gurgle in our lives. We know something's not right. We know something's wrong. And we know we have to do something about it. And Hopefully you don't make the mistakes that I made. I know in my life when things are going a little off, I get very um, self-preservationist. Make up a new word right on the spot, why don't you? I get very self-preservationist. I, I, I just want to protect me and I want to do what's right for me and I want to hold all my stuff and all the people I love and I, I, I really focus on me, I, you know, me, myself and I, that kind of split personality thing and I really know it's bad for me. But when things aren't going well, that's the way that we often are. So we've been going through, you can't go grocery shopping normal anymore. You can't go to a restaurant normal anymore. Everything's been turned upside down, and for some of us, it's made us really angry, and for others, it's made us really afraid. And I just want to say to you this morning, (laughs) there is something we can do about it. We can empty that water out of the hose. We can stop that blockage, that anxiety, that frustration that's happening, and we don't have to get our faces all washed. Here's where I want to begin with. This week, Rising Above did a uh, fundraiser through Reach FM, and I was utterly and absolutely shocked. In fact, I had not talked to them this year, but I know last year when they set a goal, they set it fairly low because they thought, man, things are a little bit tough. We better not reach too high. We'll look silly. And I know they increased the goal to 110,000 because they were going to have faith. And you guys know what Grand Prairie did this week. I believe it was 150, 160,000 was given to Rising Above. And you can say to yourself, that's incredible what Rising Above is going to do with that. What I think's incredible, what that giving is going to do for the people that gave. I want to be really clear that one of the best antidotes to selfishness, to greed, is generosity. It is the most out there thing that you can do. It is counterintuitive. It is countercultural. It is something that... It's really hard sometimes to muster up, especially if you're in crisis, especially if you're in a lot of trouble, but it is something that really, really can change your heart. And I wanna be really clear off the beginning of this whole message. That's the DNA of Jesus. If you have prayed to follow Jesus, that's in your DNA, it's who you are. 
And when I talk about words with friends, the presence of the Holy Spirit in you is gonna push that out when you activate, when you lean into that, it's gonna push it out incredibly so and it's gonna diffuse all your anxiety and selfishness and greed. And it's not gonna make sense because you're gonna wanna hold on. The old nature of the old man is gonna want you to hold on, save up, protect, cocoon, build walls around yourself. But what God has for you, and we're gonna see it in a moment in the scriptures, is he wants you to be generous. As we've been going through these series, I wanna be really clear. These series are not, and I wanted to two weeks ago when I did my first message, I wanted to be really clear, this isn't sort of trying to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. This isn't trying to be something we're not. This is actually being something that we are. Finding out who you are in Christ, and a little warning. As you hear these messages, if you're not a follower of Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit, this is gonna be really frustrating to you, and it may not be that helpful. And it's really simple, just pray and receive Jesus. Ask the presence of God to come into you so that you can play words with friends really good and mess up your sermon, so that you can walk in his power and his might and his transformation. In my Bible readings this week, I was reading in Philippians chapter two, verse 12. You can turn your Bibles to there. And the verse says this, therefore my dear friends, As you have always obeyed, did you hear that? As you have always obeyed, ooh, I thought we were saved by grace. Follow with me. As we have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my my absence. And then Paul says two statements that contradict each other. Watch this. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's statement number one. Sounds a bit legalistic. But listen to statement number two. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And then the letter goes on to give a bunch of instructions on how to live as a Christian. We've been going through this, and as I stated, two weeks ago we looked at this tension of free salvation. There's nothing you can do to earn earn your way to heaven. And this sense of being who you are now created to be. Discovering who you are in Christ and actually living it out. This isn't legalism. This is revelation. This is understanding your heart of stone has been replaced with a heart of flesh. When you were born again, you were changed. And you want to live miserably? Live the old flesh, the old ways. When you come under stress of COVID-19, act and behave like you used to. You'll feel it. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel good. It makes us miserable. But when you start walking in who God has created you to be, it feels natural. It feels empowering. It, 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 it's unbelievable, and especially in the topic of generosity. When we are generous, when we want to be greedy, it's like an antidote it, it takes the poison, the selfishness out of us. Generosity, friends, is a God-given trait. It's who we are. 
So now, if we want to kind of look at the whole topic of generosity, I believe the first place we need to look is at Jesus' example of being generous. And if you have your Bibles again, flip them to Matthew 14, 14. And here we're going to see where Jesus feeds 5,000 and he heals sick people. Oh, and by the way, if you read earlier on in the text, he was actually trying to get away for a break. When Jesus landed, now he's in a boat and he's trying to get away. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, I know if it was me and I was tired, I went and went, oh, like, turn the boat, let's go somewhere else. But the Jesus that we know in the scripture says he had compassion on them and healed their sick. A few years ago, I went to do some church partnership evangelism in Ecuador, and I did a service with the church. And the service I did, and I don't know why I did this, but I prayed on the filling of the Holy Spirit. And I said, if anybody would like to be filled with the Holy Spirit, come to the front, we'll lay hands on you. All 400 people came to the front, and all 400 wanted me to lay hands on them for whatever reason. The service went till four o'clock in the afternoon. I remember my daughter, Shaylin, she was leading worship. She had learned two Spanish songs. She sang them over and over for three hours. I can tell you, I was so exhausted at the end. It was unbelievable. I can't imagine what Jesus felt like. He was tired. He goes to the shore. There's a great crowd. He has compassion on them. And he spends a bunch of hours healing the sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away. I mean, they're tired, they're exhausted, so that they can go to the village and buy themselves some food. So he's already taken compassion and healed their sick. Verse 16, Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And you know the rest of the story. I hope you do. They say, hey, we have no food. Well, what do we have? Well, there's these five loaves and two fish or whatever it was. And it multiplies and everybody is fed and everybody is satisfied. I can tell you that as I've grown in my faith, I find I have more compassion on everyone and everything. It's kind of frustrating to me. I want to be mad at the homeless, but I now kind of understand in a lot of cases what got them there. I want to be mad at the drug addicts and say uh, we shouldn't be helping them at all, but I understand as I've grown in my faith, as God's been talking to me, God has shown me that when I was in high school, by the way, I did hang out with a bit of the drug crowd in high school just for a few months. And God's made it really clear to me that I could have easily stayed on that path. I was already a believer in Jesus and I believe that's what got me out of that and turned me around and showed me that it wasn't the way that I needed to go. But I could have easily, very easily followed in that direction and path. I could have been one of those people on the streets. Those people on the streets dealing with their cycles of defeat. Praise God for what got given to rising above. The people that are dealing with their cycles of defeat are just like you and me. They grew up in a lot of good families. Some of them have a lot of brokenness in the past, but a lot of them have great families and great background. I remember when I was in Saskatchewan in my last church. I had a guy who started coming to the church. Don't remember his name. 
But I had lunch with him a few times, and he told me his story. He was about 30 years old then, and I said, so, like, have you always been a Christian? Oh, I grew up in a good Christian home, he told me. I forget he grew up in Osler or some cute little town like that in Saskatchewan. And he told me, I said, like, you know, he, he goes, yeah, I, I just finished living on the streets for eight years in Saskatoon. I said, oh, like, was your family horrible? Was a lot of brokenness? He goes, no, I, I had a really good evangelical church. I had a good, loving parents. I said, well, how did you get on the streets? He said, in my case, it was really simple. In grade 12, just at the very end, I went to a party. And there was some crystal meth there, and for whatever reason, friends didn't tell me what it was, and I decided to try it. I was feeling a little bit down, and I needed some relief. And if you talk to Rising Above, you'll hear, that's one of the triggers. And he said, I took crystal meth, and he said, the rest is the story. Eight years living on the streets. Addicted to every drug there is. This is a good, decent Christian guy. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of people. <laughs> they've grown up in a horrible, abusive, sexual homes or, or nasty homes or locked in their rooms. And, and they really have so much pain. And they just take the drugs and alcohol just to have some relief. And I want to say to you that as a Christian, I'm becoming much, much more compassionate more kind, more understanding. And I can tell you that I believe my old nature and even some of the way I was brought up, it isn't who I am in my natural self. But throw the Holy Spirit in there and suddenly there's a real turn, there's an awakening, there's an awareness. And it kind of bugs me because I want to be mad. I want to be angry. But the Holy Spirit is just so incredible. May God give us eyes to see how he sees and hopes for all people. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8, verse 49. Oh, may we be like Jesus. May we have compassion on the crowds. And in Luke 8, 49, we find this story where Jesus heals the daughter of a religious leader. Oh, we love to quote that Jesus did not like religious leaders. We love to quote how he always stood up to them and dealt with them, that the biggest frustration in Jesus' life was religious leaders. Listen to the story. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, your daughter is dead. I guess they should have been given some training on how to let somebody know that. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. And then she goes with him and he heals the daughter of Jairus, the religious leader, the one who we've always been taught that Jesus hated, that Jesus was angry at. You see, Jesus was a person of forgiveness. Jesus was a person of compassion. Jesus was a person of generosity. I, as a person, can get so focused on doing the right thing that I miss the best things. By the time I get in my car to come to work, I was thinking about it this morning because as I was driving uh, that, whatever the street is, going north of Costco, out in the middle of nowhere, they have a traffic light, and it turned red on me, how dare it? And there was nobody waiting the other way to go, and I thought, what a stupid light. 
I said that out loud. And then God says, why are you like this? I said, because I'm going to the church to do a good thing. I'm going to preach in a few moments. And God's going, yeah, it's going well, isn't it? You're so focused on the good that you're missing the lessons. You're missing what I want to teach you. On occasion, God has a stop that he wants me to do. And I miss what he's up to because I'm so busy doing what's right and what's good. And I can get mad or frustrated at drivers blocking my goals, my good goals. Or when God tells me, and he did it to me again this week, go and be nice at your son Josh's work and buy them all a bunch of breakfast things. It's like I'm getting a little tired of this. It's making my pocketbook a little emptier. But I went to McDonald's, so it was a really good deal. So that I didn't go to the other place where I went. Last time God told me to. I won't name the name. It was really expensive. But I had stuff to do here at the church, and, and I was actually late coming because I, I, I stopped for a moment. Now, if I had a meeting, I wouldn't stop. But I did have an hour spare time in the morning, and I knew I could do it. And so I did. But, you know, I get so focused on the good. I get so focused on the righteous that I forget the right. Okay, thirdly, we want to look at one more thing of what Jesus did that was just incredibly generous, and you had to know that it, it's Jesus dying on the cross. I, I mean, think about Jesus dying on a cross for a moment before we read it. Jesus, before he started leading 12 men, he was 30 years old, he had a successful career as a carpenter. And I don't know, but I, I think from the text and what we know, it was doing really well. He was making money, he worked with his dad. I mean, how much sweeter could that have been? He gave up everything. In fact, the scripture says that he hadn't even got married at this point, and we know he never did. And I believe it's because he knew what was coming, and he didn't want to cause God a lot of grief and trouble for his wife and children he could have had. But he gave up everything. At 30 years old, and he poured three years hard and heavy into 12 apostles. He healed many, the poor, the discarded, the unclean, the sinners, the tax collectors, the religious daughters. He made wine at a wedding at the request of his mother, even before he was supposed to perform miracles. This is the Jesus that we follow. This is the Jesus that we're to be like. I could go on and on. He was a very generous guy. So turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 23, verse 32. Man, I've almost used up all my time in the first point here. I've got to get moving. Luke 23, 32. Two others. Jesus is hanging on the cross. A little bit of background. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there were crucified. There they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and one on his left. Picture in your mind Jesus is hanging on the cross with nails in his hands and nails in his feet. Do you think it was a point where he could maybe be a little bit focused on his own pain? Where he could maybe sit there and go, oh, this is such a hard thing. And he did. The scripture says, if you can take this away from me, God... 
I mean, Jesus had a tough time, but we see another part of Jesus come out even in his ministry. And Jesus said, verse 34, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I mean, I don't know if it was you, but I think I would be going, God, would you bring fire and brimstone down on them? Verse 35, and the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourselves. So he was not only in pain, but he was also being mocked and ridiculed. There was also an inscription over him, this is king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged uh, railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself. Save yourself and us. I mean, that's how the darkness can get into somebody that even in their worst, most horrible moment, they can still spew out vileness. Do you not fear God? But the other thief rebuked him in verse 40. Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come to your kingdom. And he said to him, Jesus hanging on the cross in pain, being mocked, and he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Even in crisis and facing death, Jesus poured out generosity. Father, forgive them. You're going to be with me this day in paradise. I mean, if you're wondering a little bit more, and I don't have the time today, but go ahead and read Philippians chapter two a little bit and understand how we're supposed to be like Jesus. Or Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 talks about this, this lamb that goes before the shears, this lamb that's about to be killed. And willingly it goes. I mean, just read it. It's just unbelievable. When I was 20 years and unemployed, 20 years old when I was 20 years, when I was 20 years old and unemployed, I was living in Fort St. John. The year is 1982. Now, anybody that's older than, oh, how old would you have to be? You'd probably have to be 40, 50 years old. You would know that in 1982 up in this country, all across Western Canada especially, but in this country, we were in a very deep depression. I know lots of guys that went bankrupt in this church. They've told me. It was a rough year, and I was just three years out of high school. I was unemployed. I was destitute. I had car payments I couldn't mean. Uh, I, I, make, I, I went to live with my parents. My dad made my car payments. It was humbling, and it was just... Uh, really tough me. I, honestly, I was more depressed than I've ever been in my entire life. And in my depression, as a follower of Christ as I was then, I began to say, okay, God, what do I need to do? And he said, well, you've got a Bible. <laughs> Pick it up and read it. And I actually remember I, was, I read through uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, those little books, and they just lifted me up so much. And, and I said, okay, God, I, I, I sort of understand. I, I, I need to not focus on me and 
God spoke to me, and I realized as I'm going back in my life after going through hearing God, and I'm going to teach it again right away, I've always had these moments where I heard God so clear. And at that moment, I said to God, what do I need to do? And he said, well, first of all, you've just been laying in bed depressed. You need to get up and start moving. So I started jogging every day. Unbelievable, right? You look at this body, you go, well, what happened to the jogging? Well, it transformed me then. I felt so much better. And I remember going back to my Bible reading and saying to God, okay, that feels good, body, soul, and spirit. What else should I do, God? What else should I get at and do? And God said to me, I want you to actually go to the church and volunteer, the Alliance Church in Fort St. John, and I also want you to go in the street corners and when I give you the opportunities, share Jesus. I don't remember if anybody prayed to receive Christ. I do remember meeting this girl once. She was really cute. And she tried to sell me magazines. I, I, I thought she liked me for other reasons, but that was it. And as soon as I said, no, I didn't want to buy, buy the magazine, she moved on. But no, I didn't lead her to Christ. But uh, you see, there began to be a transformation in me at that point because I was no longer wallowing in my own pity and my own hurt and my own pains. I, I was starting to, to get healthy. I was starting to uh, think about others. So, so I remember going back and feeling, and it was really out of there for me because believe it or not, I was super shy. And for me to go on the street corners and just stand there, wait for people to talk to me and then tell them about Jesus, that was really freaky. But you see, I started to get my eyes on something bigger than me. And so I went back to God and I said, okay, this is really fun and interesting. Is there something else that I should be doing? And he actually told me now, some of you will know this name, a guy by the name of Ken Shower in Fort St. John. Um, his, he had lots of kids. I have to add them up here, five, six, how many ever it was. But his two oldest boys, which I was friends with, had gone off to Bible college. And he had a trailer court in Fort St. John. And uh, he, he couldn't afford to have anybody work with him, plus he had a full-time job. And God said to me, I want you to go to him and offer to work for him for free. And I remember Ken looking at me like I was kind of like, I don't know, that's kind of weird. And he goes, I have no money to pay you. And I said, no, no, you don't understand. I want to do it for free. By the way, he ended up did pay me some money in the end. But I remember that was one of the more transformational times in my life. Now, understand, wallowing in pity, laying in bed, wasting away to jogging, telling people about Jesus, going to help Ken Shower. Ken Shower was spiritually a giant. He taught me so much spiritually in those few months that I did stuff for him for free. Well, I thought it was free. And my heart. You see, as a Christian, you've been made to be generous. And it's unbelievable how that all began to change for me. And if you're going, okay, so you're telling us about Jesus, but how does this apply to me as a Christian? We Christians are called to be generous. We are called to forgive like Jesus did, Matthew 5, 14. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You see, Jesus was very forgiving. Remember on the cross, forgive them, they don't know what they do. In our DNA, the Holy Spirit in us, that power that helped me win words last night, that power in you wants you to forgive others. And you might say to yourself, and I know Neil Anderson years ago, who traveled around to lots of churches with his seven steps to freedom, he said the number one sin in the church that he keeps coming across is unforgiveness and bitterness. 
And I have had people, I remember one 80-year-old lady that I was working with said to me, I cannot forgive this person. It was her brother-in-law who raped her when she was 14. I cannot forgive this person. I remember saying to you, so where is the guy right now? Oh, he's been dead 20 years. And I said, you can't release him. Like, what can he do to you anymore? I can't do it. And I said, well, emotionally, I said, I know you can. But can I ask you intellectually, can you just let it go? Can you lean into that generosity that Jesus has given you? And she went through the process and she released the person. What a transformation. Uh, Forgiveness is the most generous thing you could do. Uh, Secondly, what is Jesus calling us to do? We are called to be generous and put others first. Philippians chapter 2. And I want you to read the whole thing. But just this verse, two verses. Verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And I will say, or out of fear, self-preservation. Rather, in humility, value others above ourselves, above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. When I do premarital counseling, this is one of the first principles I teach the couple. It's not all about you. It is about the person that you're about to marry. My mother taught me this so clear. My dad was a guy who liked lots of hobbies. He started golfing. My mom started golfing. My dad went hunting. My mom went hunting. My dad started fishing. My mom started fishing. My dad liked to garden. So my, now my mom, I, it was kind of one-sided and lopsided a little bit. But you see, this selflessness is a really good thing. You see, D, Jesus' DNA is not selfish. It isn't. The selfishness you're experiencing and feel is your old nature and your old ways. And they come welling up and they want to get alive and Satan wants to poke you into them. (coughs) That reminds me, I called myself a pterodactyl a few weeks ago. And what I was meaning was that dinosaur with little short arms, whatever that's called. I'll just say I'm a wiener dog and I have a hard time coughing into my sleep. Jesus' DNA is not selfish. Years ago, man, I'm so out of time. Do I have time for this story? Do you remember Wilco? It was so interesting when Walmart bought Wilco. The reason it's interesting, and and I always pay attention now in Walmart, and I see if it still works, but uh, Wilco had developed, if you went into a Wilco store, it was spotless. The shelves were perfectly stocked and faced. They had created within, and I heard this at one of my drives, CBC Radio, and somebody from Walmart was telling this story. They had developed this kind of DNA that um, whenever the regional manager would visit, they had to have everything perfect. It wasn't about how they treated customers, by the way. Wilco had made the decision that if everything looked perfect, then the customers would be happy. If the stock was there, it was faced, the stores were clean. But what happened in the process of doing the good... The store workers ignored the customers because they knew the manager was coming. So they would have everything perfect and I would go up and ask, where's your toilet paper? And they'd say, I don't know, down there a couple of rows. I gotta straighten out these ketchup bottles. And Walmart came in there and they have this uh, 10 meter rule that if anybody comes within 10 meters, they're supposed to say, hey, can I help you? And if you say, where's the toilet paper? They're supposed to walk you all the way there. And I test it all the time and it doesn't work really good. But anyway, that's another whole story. 
we can become so focused on ourselves and doing good that we miss out on the best. Thirdly and finally, we are called to be sheep and not goats. Listen to the story in Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, When did we see you hungry? You see the generosity spirit. It's so natural you don't even notice it. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you, and when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer, truly I say to you, As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Did you hear that? Jesus is talking about us, the sheep. As you did it to one of the least of these brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry? You see greeds like that. You won't even notice how bad you are. Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then it will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Friends, the world has been elevating me and I for a long time. Since the Garden of Eden, I want that fruit. How dare God hold it away from me? The world has gotten to the point where they condone and accept all kinds of sin as individual rights. We have believed happiness is focusing on me and what I want. I am convinced that's a fallen characteristic. I want that apple. How dare God say no? We are created to be focused, others focused. And as a Christian being renewed, we start Obviously, of course, at looking to God and saying, God, what do I need to do? I mean, if you're laying on a bed in depression, ask God, what do I need to do? Honestly, my soul takes a turn down when it's about me. My marriage takes a turn down when it's about me. My church takes a turn down when it's about me. My country implodes when it's about me. Greed and selfishness needs this message desperately. Be generous. It's who you are. 
So in conclusion, know who Jesus is and and receive him and accept him and be born again. Uh, Be like him. Uh, Number two, act like Jesus. Be like Jesus. And number three, and please do this. Take time this week to examine your heart. Ask God if you have any selfish or greedy characteristics or, or even current traits that need some generosity poured into. And then be generous. Again, the greatest antidote to greed is generosity. And as a Christian, being generous is who you are. It's who I am. And of course, do not underestimate your old nature and the devil's schemes. He does not want you to grow and be happy. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, Oh, that old nature. I can just see my old nature there. Shaking his head, saying eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die, or to build bigger barns, or to get the nicest car, or the nicest truck, or the nicest house. I can see all that, God. And oh, Lord, I hear so many people say to me, what does God want me to do for him? And I see they have such good paying jobs and you've given them those blessings so they can bless others. Oh God, thank you for rising above and what Grand Prairie did. Thank you that we as a church have had uh, really good healthy offerings for the last eight months. It's been really good, God. Thank you for the generosity of people. But our generosity goes beyond just handing out money. It goes to helping our neighbors, shoveling their driveways, cutting their grass. It goes to taking a little detour on our way to somewhere doing something good so that we could do something that you've called us to do that's better. We get so heavenly minded we are no earthly good. And so, God, may our DNA, the DNA of Jesus, that DNA of generosity, may it flow out of us. And we need your Holy Spirit to reveal to us, to speak to us, to counsel us, and especially to empower us to be who you have called us to be, who you have placed inside of us, that DNA, that peace and presence of Jesus. Oh, Holy Spirit, do this work in us all this week. Even if we go out for lunch today, let us be generous with those that are around us. In Jesus Christ's name, I pray these things. Amen. Please stand with me. Just before I read the benediction, you know the altar is always open. And it might be that you just want prayer for a friend, a relative. It might be that you just, you're that person laying on that bed of sorrows. And you'd like to speak to God about it here at the altar right away. You don't even want to go home and do it. You want to get it done here. Do that. We'll have people down here that would love to pray for you. Just a reminder, next week, two services, 9.15 and 11.15. So if you come to 10, you'll be waiting around for an hour. And uh, you'll miss everything. And if you don't come at 9, we'll have an empty service. So some of you show up then because... Like literally, it doesn't look full, but we're actually full. We can't have any more. And uh, we've had to turn kids away at Sunday school, and we don't like that. So we're going to two services next week. And finally, don't forget the prayer summit tonight. Uh, We'll be doing it right here in this room. 
And uh, it will be, if you didn't know, I've tried to explain to you, it's just basically guided prayer for the whole evening. We will have worship, we will have communion, uh, we will be praying together in groups. Uh, I have three prayers for the church, uh, three prayers of thanksgiving for the church, and we will be doing uh, groups of two praying together. Some of it will be what we call beehive prayer, we're all in. Some of it's going to be listening prayer at the very end. So come with your life group to that. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 says this, Now may the God of peace, this New Living Translation, thought I'd mix it up a bit. Ooh, we got a New Living Translation kick going on here. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Listen to this. God will make this happen. For he who calls you is faithful. Amen? Amen.